Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you here today. Uh, our key scripture this morning comes from John chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to these verses this morning. John chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. Jesus says, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Perhaps for those of you who are in the room this morning that have children, have had children, uh, you remember what it was like when your kids were little. And um, Nisha and I had this interesting sort of uh, thing that came up with our kids, and that was uh, when our kids would do something sort of new or risky or even like slightly dangerous, we would tell them not to do it, but we would tell them not to do it for like the worst possible case scenario. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, don't jump off the couch. You might break your ankle. Um, don't do this because this might happen. And, you know, as, as a parent, when you're first sort of figuring this stuff out, that's kind of where your mind goes, right? Because these are your kids and you want to protect them and make sure that nothing bad happens to them. But there's a problem if you always take your warnings to sort of the extreme end of where that warning can go. Do you, do you know what the problem is? You can raise kids who are afraid that the worst possible thing is going to happen to them all the time, right? Well, I can't do that because if I do that, my mom said my arm might fall off. And I don't want my arm to fall off. God gave me two for a reason. But so we had to learn as parents to try to figure out what the line was to adequately prepare our children to not die, but to also not create a scenario in which they were constantly afraid of what could happen to them. And as I was thinking about that this week, it made me consider how much fear plays a role in my own life. Now, we all want to exercise some caution. We don't want to be reckless. We want to make good decisions. We want to think things through. We don't want to do things necessarily that put us at risk. But as I was praying through this this week, I began to think about how much of my life has been marked by fear of some kind. And so I'm going to name some of those fears for you this morning. Fear of failure fear of rejection, fear of actually doing my best and my best not being enough, fear of making any kind of mistake, fear of disappointing others, fear of looking stupid or foolish, fear of my deepest self being exposed, fear of being seen for who I think I really am. And as I thought about all of these fears that have been hallmarks of my life at different times, I read through these words again. Jesus says, 
But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And I realized that when I have read these words before, when I look at this, that the Spirit will remind me of everything that Jesus has said to you, I have always thought about that in terms of like, teachings and rules and how to live and what to do. But then I remembered that Jesus said an awful lot about how much God loves us. That Jesus said an awful lot about how God helps us overcome. That Jesus said an awful lot about how much God wants us to live a different kind of life not because of what we do, but because of who God is. Amen? Amen. Through the work of the Spirit in our lives, we are reminded, and what are we reminded of? We are reminded of a God who is greater than our fears. We do not have to be troubled or afraid. In fact, we can have peace. The Spirit of God living in us helps to drive out our fear, but it can really only do that if we allow it to. And I don't know how you, what you think when you reflect on your own life, but I know for me, my fear is probably the one thing that I have held on to the most. With both hands, white-knuckled, not letting go. But I am convinced this morning that the Holy Spirit can take away that fear only if I finally release these things and find peace in the God who loves me for who I am, who sent his son to die for me because of who I am, and who offers me a life free of the things that would keep me in check. God offers us the opportunity through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to not be afraid. Amen. So may the Spirit help us to shed our own fears and to know that who we are is defined by our great big God who overcomes. Amen. There's nothing worth more. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know what your families are like. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know kind of what what takes place. I, I can guess what some of your families are like. But in my family, um, my dad likes to tell stories, and we always used to make fun of my dad for it because it was like we. My dad. Uh, after he retired, he went back to work for PG&E as a meter reader, and uh, he read meters out in uh, the foothills and stuff around Fresno. And so we'd sit down to dinner at night, and you would ask my dad, Dad, uh, how was work today? And he's like, oh, it was great. And you'd say, Dad, like, like where'd you go? And he said, well, I drove out Route 41, and I turned right, 
at the place with the water tower that has a horse on it. And then I drove out a couple miles as far as the crow fly. And he would tell you the story, not even about what happened yet, just about how he got to where he was supposed to go. My dad likes to tell stories. Now, when my dad was uh, in college, he, he went to uh, Freed Hardman for a year. And uh, before he went over uh, to Harding for another year, but when he was at Freed Hardman, um, he was roommates with Landon Saunders, who is a preacher. And Landon Saunders and my dad would travel around the South, and Landon would preach, and my dad would lead singing. And they had to be somewhere one of these times, and so this is the story that they tell. Um, they borrowed, I, I think it was Lynn Anderson's car, don't quote me on that, but they borrowed his car and they drove out to this little country church and on their way back from the country church, there was a chicken in the road and they hit the chicken. But when they got back to, to uh, campus and they went around to the front of the car, my dad swears there was a whole egg stuck in the grill. I'm skeptical about whether this actually happened or not. But my dad promises it's true. Now, here's what's worse. Whenever we see Landon or if we're at the lectureships and we see Landon uh, and Lynn or whatever, um, Landon also swears that it's true. And then Lynn says that it also happened. So now there's a fundamental question, right? At first, maybe I didn't believe my dad when he told this story because the story is just so hard to believe. But now these, I, it's called into question whether or not I believe Landon and Lynn. And that puts me in a position that I'm not comfortable with, right? It's one thing to believe that, you know, my dad is telling a tall story, but now are they all in on it? Like what's happening here? Now suppose that I came to you one day and I told you a really crazy story about something that happened to me, okay? And you're a little bit skeptical about whether or not this thing actually happened. And I say, wait, 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 but hold on. There was someone else with me. And you say, who? And I say, Zula. <laughs> now see, already all of you are kind of like, Hold on a second. You mean Zula? <laughs> Zula is backing you up on this? So in that moment, you have to choose, right, whether you believe me. And then I drag Zula into this thing, and you have to believe whether, you have to decide whether you believe Zula or not. Now, I'm not asking whether you believe Zula, but by the looks on your faces, it seems like both Zula and I are untrustworthy <laughs> in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> Right? Okay, we're untrustworthy in some, in some way. This is clear. This is clear. Okay? But let's change it then. What if I don't tell you that Zula was with me? What if I tell you that my friend Karen Case was with me? Now, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Zula say, well, if Karen was with you, who knows what could have happened, Right? It's funny how that works, though, right? It's funny how that works, uh, particularly uh, as 
if the story gets more and more crazy or more and more wild or more and more absurd, maybe you believe the person, maybe you don't, but isn't it true that whatever they're using to corroborate the story also matters as to where you'll believe it? Um, now, why does that matter for uh, what we're talking about with the Holy Spirit and his disciples? Well, here's the thing, and, and we've, we've focused on this uh, a lot over the past several weeks, but Jesus here in this section of John that we've been in, John chapter 14, 15, 16, is trying to lay the groundwork for what's going to happen when he leaves. Um, he knows the crucifixion is coming along with the resurrection, along with him going back up to his Father in heaven. His disciples that he's speaking to, though, they don't have this same concept or this same thing. Now, Jesus has been telling them all along what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, where he's going to be, and they you can tell when you read through the story, right, that the disciples are... It's just not sinking in exactly what's happening. It's the, the truth of what Jesus is saying isn't coming through. And so Jesus has been trying to tell them, these are all the things that are, that are going to happen, but this is, this is how I'm going to help you through this time. And Jesus' answer to help them through this time of, train, of change and transition is what? The Holy Spirit. Thank you. Whew, that was close. I was almost going to have to take a knee there for a second. If no one could say the Holy Spirit in the series, that is the Holy Spirit. Like, I have failed as a teacher if you can't even say that. He had promised that the Holy Spirit would come. And uh, the term that is used there is the paraclete, the advocate, the helper. And he had promised that the paraclete would come and they would not be alone, that the presence of God would be with them. And as we saw last week, he promised that the Holy Spirit would be their teacher, that the Holy Spirit would remind them of everything that Jesus said as we read this morning and help them to better understand all that they had seen or heard. Now, here's the deal. For us, sitting so many years away from this moment that Jesus has with his followers, what is our reaction to this teaching of Jesus? And let me just venture a guess, okay? Well, Guys, like Jesus said that he's going to send back a helper. And Jesus said that the helper is going to give you everything that you need. And in fact, Jesus said that the helper is going to remind you of everything. So really, like, what's the problem? Like, you're going to have all these things from Jesus, and, and your life is going to be laid out and easy for you. But that, for us, who we're really kind of unable to put ourselves in the same mind frame and mindset of where the disciples are and about all the chaos that is about to envelop them. It's difficult for us to do. And the irony of that is, <laughs> what? Don't we struggle a little bit with trusting the Holy Spirit in our own lives and being guided by it? Don't we? Don't we, don't we fail a lot of times in listening to the guidance of the Spirit and following where he leads us? So we need to stay in this moment for a minute. That the helper is coming, but their life was going to be really far from easy. And do you know who knew this better than anyone else? Jesus did. Jesus knew that what was coming for them was going to be anything but simple. There's 
a pretty standard basic fact that we don't often appreciate about Jesus when he was here on earth. We look at Jesus as being the embodiment of God's love, this walking, talking, teaching, uh, healing power that we would kill to be around, right? To be around the living Jesus is something that we can hardly wrap our minds around. But here's the thing, as much as Jesus was very dearly loved, he was also severely disliked. There were a lot of people that met Jesus that did not want to spend another moment around him. In fact, dislike might not be a strong enough word, and Jesus himself uses a different word. So if you have uh, your Bibles this morning, open them up to John chapter 15. This is going to be our core, uh, our core chapter this morning, 15, the beginning of 16. So keep in mind, so Jesus has just told uh, the disciples that the advocate's going to come. He's going to remind them of everything they have to say. Uh, you have peace. Don't be afraid. All these things. And this is how he follows all this stuff up. It's, it's beautiful, okay? Uh, starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. Servants are not greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Those who hate me hate my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. I have to be straight with you. I'm not sure I want Jesus to give me a pep talk. But we have to understand here that Je the purpose of all these things that Jesus is saying is to prepare them for what is to come. And what does he know about what is to come? That there is trouble brewing. Trouble that they can hardly even imagine. And Jesus wanted to make sure that they understood the true nature of things. So he lays it out for them. If the world hates you, keep in mind that they hated me first. The world hated Jesus. The world hated Jesus. And the world hated Jesus for a lot of different reasons. Let's just get to the most sort of, and we, we see this, guys, on, in every corner today in our world. If someone is different than us, how do we treat them? Okay, so that... 
this question is not a complicated question, um, but it is a complex question. And what I mean by that is, it's not complicated because we all pretty much know what the answer is. When someone is different than us or thinks differently than us or does something in a different way than us, it immediately makes us uncomfortable, right? Yeah. It immediately makes us uncomfortable if someone or something is different. And we are not doing a very good job as a culture today dealing with those differences. No matter what those differences are, be they cultural racial, political, religious, you name it. I'm pretty sure people today would get in a fist fight over where to go for lunch because that is the way that our culture is slowly developing. And Jesus stood in this place where the world hated him and they hated him for a very specific reason, okay? So this question, well, how could the world hate Jesus? He's the embodiment of God's love. Well, the answer is really actually very simple. Jesus was different than the world was. Jesus was different than the world was. And instead of trying to understand Jesus, they hated him instead. Now, they hated him because he didn't belong. Jesus did not fit in to this place. It was part of what, on one hand, drew people to him. That, that made him such an effective teacher and public figure that had these crowds following him around everywhere. But when we talk about why the world hated Jesus, the world hated Jesus, and in this particular sense, uh, the, the division that Jesus is trying to establish here is that there are people who are with God and understand what God is doing and are on God's side, and then there is the world, okay? So there are basically, within this conversation, there are two parties. Those who are with God and understand what God is doing in the world through Jesus, and there is the world. So when he says the world, that's what he's talking about. And here's the thing. Jesus did not look or talk like the world. Let me just give you an example. He is a public figure that is going around teaching and preaching and healing, and yet he was homeless. And he had no possessions of which to speak. Now, let me ask you this question. Why was Jesus homeless, and why did he not have any possessions? Why? Because, and this is where, this is what makes him such an uncomfortable figure. He chose it. He chose to be homeless. He chose to not have possessions. He chose to travel everywhere and to stay with other people and to rely on their, uh, their offerings of food and shelter um, and, and this is the hard thing for us to wrap our minds around, but Jesus was living a human existence yet didn't care, like honestly didn't care or desire the things that all of us care about and desire. Here's a guy that could be the most, and in some ways actually is, the most powerful person in the region. And he doesn't care about having a home. So you talk to Jesus about this. Jesus, why aren't you living somewhere? Why don't you have like, a, I'm sure, 
I'm sure people would give you a home if you wanted one. And Jesus tells you, no, it's because I'm doing the work of the Father and the Father is calling me out and doing all these things. And all of a sudden, you, who have spent a lot of your life working to get this home and this place and to have this stuff and to have this life, Jesus, the teacher, is telling you that he doesn't need it. Now, that makes you uncomfortable. Why? You don't care that he doesn't have it. But you do care that everything, these things that you have built in your life around, Jesus says, are not necessary for him. Do you see how, <laughs> do you see how that works? He did not care either about having power or influence over the systems that everyone else was striving to have power and influence over. We've talked uh, several Sundays ago about the basic sort of political system that was in place during the time of Jesus and that there were these different parties within the Jewish community. There were Pharisees who upheld the law. There were Sadducees who ran the temple and everything that went on there. And the Sadducees were uh, in bed with the Romans and trying to keep peace and they had all of the power and influence. And here's Jesus walking around and he's not... He's not kissing up to any of these people that are in power. And so he's, so he's working outside of the power system. And what's happening? People are following him. So what happens if all, when, if all of these people that are following Jesus, what happens if they start to think the power system isn't necessary anymore? Then what happens? And this life you have built for yourself, climbing higher and higher, people begin to call into question. Did the world hate Jesus? Yes, but we need to identify this primary reason. One of the reasons why the world hated Jesus is because he did not value what the world valued. And by not valuing what the world valued, he called into question those who did value what the world valued. That would be bad enough, just Jesus living this way, as what we would call today an influencer. That would be bad enough. But Jesus took it further and actually taught a message that encourage people to throw off everything of the world. Listen to these words from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Keep your finger there in John 15 if you're going to flip over. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, in general, we do not like someone who calls into question our values or our way of life. Um, we do not like it when someone hits too close to home and suggests that we have something wrong 
in the way that we see things or view things. And we, in particular, don't like to be confronted by that alternate viewpoint. The first, when someone confronts us with an alternate viewpoint, what is humanity's first response every time? It starts with a D and rhymes with offensiveness. <laughs> right? Defensiveness. Because when someone starts saying something that is not what we think or believe, what is our first impulse every time? We must tell them why what we think is right and why we believe what we believe and why what we think is true. And so Jesus is walking around and not only, he's not calling out like these little teeny tiny ideas, these little small things. He's calling out great big ideas that apply to vast sections <laughs> of humanity. And he had no problem saying that the way of life that humanity accepted at the time was just plain wrong. A parable he tells puts it this way. It's built on the wrong foundation. You can build it on the rock, or you can build it on sand. Build it on sand, it's going to wash away. Build it on rock, it's going to stand. And so Jesus placed himself squarely on the opposite side from everything that the world values, and the world did not love him for that. And then, so if you look back at what Jesus says in John chapter 15, he makes things very personal. If you look at what he says in, John, in Matthew 6, he makes things very personal. Do not store for yourself treasures on earth because this stuff is not going to last. Instead, store up treasures in heaven because that will last. So listen to this. How personal does it get? You ready? This is hard. If you are trying to build up your life here, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. All this stuff is going to go away. And if you have ignored what's eternal, moths and rust, tiny insects... <laughs> you are going to be powerless against them. Rust, this corrosion that sneaks in and, and eats things up, you're going to be powerless, powerless against these things. And the reason is that everything in this place is temporary. By its very nature, it does not last. So what are you going to choose? And this is, Jesus is the master of that kind of question. It's like this. So what are you going to do? You remember the rich young man that comes to Jesus and Jesus, I've done all these things and sure enough, he's followed all these commands. He's lived his life in a great way, but he's rich. So what else do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says what? Sell all of your possessions and give them to the poor and follow me. And the man leaves sad because Jesus has identified the one thing that he has held back from God. So Jesus puts himself on the opposite side of everything that the world values and the world did not love him for that. But Jesus here in John 15 takes it a step further and he says that they didn't, 
they don't just hate him, but they hate the Father as well. Now remember, Jesus has told the disciples that if they have seen, if they see him, right, they have seen the Father, okay? And they said, well, Jesus, show us the Father. And he's like, okay, look, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And he walks them through this. But the line here that Jesus creates that helps us understand these two different sides is this. If you hate what Jesus is doing, and teaching, and saying, and if you hate all of those things, then you hate the Father as well. You can't hate Jesus and love the Father. Because everything that Jesus does comes from where? The Father. Everything Jesus says comes from where? Jesus says, I can do nothing apart from the Father. And so, if you do not like what Jesus is about in this place, then you do not like what God is about in this place. And this takes us back, church, to what is at the core of this problem from the beginning of time. This world and everything that it wants and values has no place for a God that is above it. The world loves gods that act the way the world does. Read Greek or Roman mythology. There's jealousy, there's affairs, there's murder, there's kidnapping, there's locking people away. It is drama-rama all the time. All the time. And why are these gods accepted? Why were they accepted by these massive cultures? Because they reflected the cultures themselves. These were stories that made sense to them. Because in some ways, they were the epitome of what the human experience is like. And in Jesus, we have a God who says, all of those things are not me. I am above those things. I am bigger than those things. Those things I do not value. I do not want them. They need to go away. The world has no place for this God. The world doesn't believe it needs to be saved. The world doesn't believe that it needs to, need to live a different or better kind of life. The world is hostile to both the Son and the Father. And it was no accident. You know, Jesus didn't fall onto the cross. He was put on the cross. And he was put on the cross. The most awful and demonstrative way to kill someone at the time. To prove a point, we do not need you. The cross was a way to show victory and a win. Instead, it did the complete opposite. But there's a more important message that Jesus wants to get out than just that the world hates him, the world hates the Father. He's, he's made this point really well. And, oh, I'm sorry, let me get back to one thing really quick. 
This whole tension that he's, that he's laying out between uh, the Father, him and the Father and the world, he makes this point that I just want to highlight for a second. He says, if I hadn't done all of these things, then they would not be guilty. If I hadn't said all of these things, then they would not be. So what's, Jesus's, what's the point that Jesus is trying to make? He's like, look, I am here saying all these things. I am here doing all these things. And you hear it, and what do you have to decide? Are you going to value the things of the Father or are you going to ignore the things of the Father and value the things of the world? Now, if you choose the Father, then what? Good choice, right? But if you choose the things of the world, then what are you now? You are guilty of rejecting the Father. You're guilty of rejecting the Father. Jesus has brought the truth into the world. And if you reject the truth that Jesus has brought into the world, then you are rejecting God. And if you reject God, you are, you are guilty of rejecting God. Okay? And so he lays that out there for them. And because he needs them to understand this, this is the nature of things. The Father versus the world. So here's what we're kind of getting to the point of what Jesus really wanted them to hear. Uh, he said, if they treat me this way, then they will most certainly treat you this way. If, if Jesus, as the embodiment of the love of God, is treated like an enemy, then the disciples will be treated like an enemy. Because whose words are they going to take out? Whose message are they going to carry into the world? Whose kingdom are they trying to establish? And this whole lesson about the whole world, about how the whole world hated him, was just a warm-up for the fact that life for the followers of Jesus was going to be a disaster. Now, I know that sounds very opposite from what we say when we talk about the life of the followers of Jesus. I mean, we're supposed to, you know, God blesses us and these things and da da da, you know, and how good everything is. But Jesus' message to his disciples is like, no, it's going to be bad. Uh, from John chapter 16, starting in verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the hour is coming when those who kill you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their hour comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. Again, Jesus is really building up their esteem here, making them feel good about what's going to happen. But he had to tell them these things because, he, again, he needed them to know what was coming. And the world hated Jesus so much, again, that they put him on the cross. And if the disciples had any inkling, which they didn't. They, even though Jesus had told them, they, they, they still didn't understand this thing that was coming for them. But then when Jesus raises from the dead and ascends to heaven, they might still think we're going to have this sort of like victorious life. I mean, after all, Jesus raised from the dead. And that, that vindicates everything, right? That Jesus raised from the dead, that, that he lives, that he is no longer in the grave. And so as they're going through all this, if they think their path was going to be any different, then they were just wrong. They were just wrong. And they were wrong for this reason. 
by tying themselves to Jesus, they were going to put themselves squarely in the realm of the Father, who is in opposition to the realm of the world. And how does the world handle things that go against it? They were going to move themselves squarely into the sights of those who opposed the Father and wanted to destroy Jesus. And like Jesus, they were going to stand in opposition to the world and all that it stands for. They were going to be hated like Jesus was hated. They were going to be thrown out of the synagogue, not allowed into the temple to worship God. They were going to be called names. They were going to be rejected. There was not going to be a victory party for them other than their reunion with Jesus. This was going to be harder than they could ever imagine And maybe some of them were still holding out for the victorious Jesus, the one that was going to become king and restore Jerusalem and put Rome under his feet. But this was not the story that was being told. And Jesus wanted them to know this. And it was into this conversation that Jesus again brings up the paraclete. We read this verse earlier this morning. I know it comes from right back before this, but from John chapter 15, verses 26 through 27. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Okay, so the the helper will come. We haven't read this verse this morning. My mistake. The helper will come, and what will the helper do? The helper will testify. Okay? The helper will come, and the helper will testify. Now, if I were to rank... Everything that Jesus has said so far about the paraclete, I don't know how high I would put testify on my list of amazing things. I mean, Jesus has said that, uh, that the, the paraclete will be like him and will do all the same things as him. That's pretty high on my list. That the paraclete will live inside of them. That's pretty good. Uh, will remind them of all the things uh, that Jesus has said. And Okay, like, I like that. And Jesus, but Jesus says here uh, that he will testify about me, and you also must testify. And this is just not, on the surface, a very sexy category for the Holy Spirit. It's not the one that stands out as, oh, yes, the Spirit is going to testify. And I guess in my experience, when I think of testimony, I think of someone standing up and telling their story. And certainly within church, we do that. We stand up and we tell our stories. Kathy tells her story every week about what God has done in her life. Um, so we do this, and sometimes the stories are powerful and And sometimes they're about people that have come back from the edge. Sometimes they're about the little things that God has done in our lives. But in general, uh, and you can disagree with me here, uh, we don't really spend as much time as we probably should, and that's not just here in church, but I mean just in general, um, giving testimony. This is who God is. This is what God has done. This is how God has changed things for me. In fact, I would not be surprised if there are many of you in this room today who have a hard time identifying what your story even is. Because you were never on drugs 
or living on the street or fighting bulls. I don't know. I mean, what happens if you just grew up in church and believed in God and were baptized at 12? What's your story? And so testimony, though, is so much more than a story within this context, so we can't downplay it. Testimony uh, is, as defined in the dictionary, is firsthand authentication of a fact. It is evidence. Testimony is an open acknowledgement. Testimony is standing up, whether in court or on the street, and authenticating what you know is true. Okay? It is authenticating what you know is true. So, why is it so important then that the paraclete, the helper, the Holy Spirit, testifies about Jesus? What are the disciples going to have to do? They're going to have to testify. As the ones who have experienced Jesus, they're going to have to go out into the hostile world and stand up on the corner and say, this is true. This is who God is. This is who Jesus is. This is what happened. Here is the Father and here is the world. What are you going to choose? They are going to have to give the same message of Jesus. And in order to go out and have that be so true to them that they can speak it to strangers and family members alike, what do they need? They need the Spirit to speak to them and to tell them it's all true. It's all true. You're not crazy. You're not a lunatic. You're not judgmental. You're not just being mean. You're not just pointing out. You're not just doing this. You're not just doing that. Because listen, here is what the Spirit is doing. Is the Spirit testifying to the world? That's not what Jesus says. I mean, the Spirit will testify to the world. The coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost is a testimony that God is with these people. But Jesus is saying that the Spirit is coming back to speak truth to whom? To those who then have to go out and speak truth. To those that are going to go out and speak truth. And the disciples, maybe more than a lot of these other things, guys, Maybe more than everything else, they needed the testimony of the Spirit in their own hearts. Because trouble was, in fact, coming, and people will hate them, they will persecute them, they will throw them in jail, they will kill them, all because they are followers of Jesus Christ. They will be told that they are abandoning the real God. That they are turning their back on their parents and their grandparents and everyone who came before them they will be killed on behalf of God by those who have not caught on to the kingdom that God was trying to establish. They'll be told that they have no idea what they are doing, that they are just stupid fishermen and tax collectors and nobodies. 
that have no authority to tell anyone anywhere what to do and certainly not how to live. And in the middle of all of these things, all of these messages, all of these words, all of this violence coming at them from every side, they are going to have to stand up and say, but this is the truth. But this is the truth. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That he came to this place, lived and spoke, and healed, and did amazing things that you put him on the cross. And he died. But that tomb is empty now. For Jesus has risen from the grave. I said, Jesus has risen from the grave. And he is no longer here. You can't find his body. He is no longer here. He has gone to the Father, and one day he is coming back for all of us. That is the truth. So what do you want? The Father or the world? It's not up to me what you choose. It's not up to me to decide for you. This is your call. Yes, Jesus said that your life is out of whack. Guess what? It probably is. If Jesus said it, it's true. Yes, it means you're going to have to change things about yourself. Yes, it means that you might have to give up things that you've worked so hard for and are so important to you. But what are you going to choose? Because the world has convinced you that this is what life is, but Jesus has told you that is not life. That it's all fake. That it's all going to go away. That it cannot survive because it is not eternal Jesus is calling you to the eternal. And Jesus is offering you a way to the Father. This is what they are going to have to stand up and say to people that were going to hate them for it. Just like, just like Jesus did. And here's the funny thing. Jesus knew that this is what they needed because he tells them in verse 1, after he's gone on this diatribe about how the world hates him, how it's going to hate them, about how you shouldn't expect anything differently, he says, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. Because what's going to be the temptation? The temptation is going to be to believe what everyone else says. Because they say it so convincingly. They say it so powerfully. They say it with such dedication. And then they say things about you and about who you are and how could you. And, and the temptation is not going to be just to be discouraged. The temptation is going to be to sit on the truth. And the longer you sit on the truth, the farther away from living the truth you become. The farther away from speaking the truth you become. 
And then one day you wake up and you realize you're not even on the same chair anymore. Because somehow along the way, you have bought in to the idea that the truth is not really true for everyone. And if Jesus doesn't matter to everyone, then he doesn't matter at all. If Jesus doesn't matter to everyone, then he doesn't matter at all. So what do we need to have spoken into our hearts? That Jesus matters. That the love of God in Jesus changes everything. That Jesus changes our idea of community, our idea of ourselves, our idea of what it means to meet the needs of others, and lastly, what everyone actually needs. That Jesus matters to everyone. May the Spirit speak to our hearts. May it testify to us the truth of who Jesus is so that we can stand up and testify the truth of who Jesus is to a world that does not want him. And this is not a popularity contest. It's also not an exercise in damaging and hurting other people. But the truth must be spoken. It must go out. And may the Holy Spirit give us the wisdom to know how to speak the truth. And may it eliminate the fear that we have of speaking the truth. May it help us see into the lives of those around us and help us to know what can and should be said, but it make, may it make us never afraid to represent Jesus where Jesus is not. And not in the way of, man, your life is so messed up. Let me tell you about all the things I've noticed about you but maybe in the way that speaks the truth that Jesus came to this place to save me, to save you, because we all need a Savior. We all need a Savior, and we need that Savior all the time. This is the truth of Jesus, that the world is broken and fallen, that the only thing it offers is moths, rust, and death. And Jesus offers us a way out. It is good news to all the world, whether they like it or not. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of Jesus which challenge us. We thank you for your spirit which testifies to us and tells us the truth. God, may we be unashamed of the truth. May we speak the truth of who Jesus is to a world that needs him. Father, may we not think of ourselves first, but may we think of those who do not know how much you love them, who do not know the salvation that you offer, the freedom 
the goodness, the love, the grace. And God, may we speak those things, the truth of those things, to hearts that are broken and hurting. God, convince us this morning through the testimony of your spirit that Jesus is exactly what this world needs. In his name we pray, amen. If you have any need for prayers or encouragement this morning, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this song together.